Hello and welcome to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. Rachel is a speaker, inspirational author, and an overcomer. As Rachel is walking through her own journey of grief, she's challenging others to persevere and overcome their own circumstances. Find out more at rachelflick.com. Here now is your host, Rachel Flick. Hi, friends. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. And as I was thinking about creating this episode for you today, I was hoping that some of the other losses that I've experienced would touch you and be a blessing for you. And so today I'm going to talk about the idea of what happens when you lose someone you love, especially a spouse, but it will relate to anyone, including your child or your parent, um, family or friend. And if you are someone who is looking to be a support person, this is going to be a really helpful episode for you to be able to come alongside of them and understand some of the things that are going on with them as their life has just been completely rocked. And so I just want to thank you for being here today. And I am so glad to get to share some of these pieces and the redemption that God has brought through such deep heartache in my life. Friends, if this episode or the Hopecast is blessing you, would you please rate and review, follow the Hopecast, especially on the Apple platform, that really helps, but anywhere you're listening, um, leave a review, share it with friends, save it to favorites. Those are things that help the analytics and get the message of hope and inspiration to more people. So... My loss was extremely traumatic. I had no preparation. Many of you have had experiences with death where you are dealing with a disease process or a loss. But mine being a murder, being an accident, everything was one way one day and then absolutely different the next day. And so that is going to affect our loss timelines a little bit depending on how your loss came about. But I am specifically going to reference a lot of the things that will happen kind of at the loss of your loved one and what you can expect. And one of those things that you can expect is just the feeling of shock in your body. For me, my story includes, you know, people trying to reach me, it being national news, things like this, people trying to get me the information before the news station released Micah's name so that I wasn't finding out um, through other avenues. But many people knew about his death before I did. That was kind of a pain point for me that I felt like, you know, that I wasn't really first in line as his wife, but it was also a huge complication of his death in line of duty and being a public loss. And so your death is going to have unique complications and I want you to expect that. But for me, I was told by the undersheriff and I got into his car and we drove to the hospital lights and sirens. And so I had about 20 minutes to just scream and cry with God in that moment. And then suddenly my life was on stage and I was walking past hundreds of people who were waiting outside of the hospital, inside of the hospital, and everything inside of me is swirling. And I am praying and begging God that this is not real, that 
that somehow we got this wrong, that I'm going to walk into this hospital room and someone is going to tell me, just kidding, this isn't your life, Um, Mike is fine. And that is part of the reality of shock is that you are going to start begging your life to be a different story than the one that is being written for you against your will, really, in that moment. And one of the things that's going to happen in that place is people are going to look to you for your reactions. They're going to need you to notify different people. I offloaded a lot of that to different family and friends. Obviously, there was hundreds of people waiting at the hospital, and so many people did not need to be notified by family and friends. But for instance, I didn't feel like I could call my mom and tell her it just felt too real in that moment. And so I asked one of the family members in the room there at the hospital if they would call my mom and just say it out loud, like, Mike has been shot, he's gone. And so the reality of having to tell other people your biggest loss, your worst nightmare is going to gut you. It's going to be so incredibly painful to have to share what is your new reality with other people. You're going to feel what you are going to come to know in the future as your line in the sand, that you are now someone new, someone that you don't recognize, someone who has completely different needs and expectations, a completely different support system, a completely different relationship with the people in your life and the people of your loved one's lives, whether that's in-laws or um, extended friends, family, the outer rings of circles of connection. And you are going to have to learn yourself all over again. But right now in this immediate space, I want you to take all of the pressure off of yourself. If you are listening to this and you have lost someone recently, I want you to have zero expectations of what your grief should look like. For me, I experienced a lot of numbness and stoicism and people would say, oh, you're so strong because I wasn't laying on the floor sobbing. But if you're laying on the floor sobbing, that's great. If you're stoic and quiet and just in this place of stunned shock, that's great. That's fine. If you need to talk about it, that's fine. If you're not ready to talk about it, that's completely normal. And so whatever your emotional response is, it may surprise you, honestly, in the days coming. Grief is going to reveal a side of you that you have probably never explored with yourself or someone else before. And the immensity of the pain is going to reveal the innermost parts of your soul. And for that, I'm very sorry, because within the community of the grieving, we know that we live in a glass house. And so we don't throw rocks at other people because we understand the reality of what pain brings out of us. And here's the truth of something that I've learned is that pain is a pleasure seeker. You will do anything and everything you can to try to avoid this stunning, heart-numbing, rending, pinching, grinding pain. The pain that I describe is it sounds like if you take a pair of jeans in your hands and you rip the denim apart, that sound is what it feels like when you lose your loved one and how that lands in your soul. And you will do anything you can to get away from that pain as quickly as possible. For some of us, that's dissociation. For some of us, that's substances. For some of us, that's busyness. Many people will use activity and try to stay busy. Some people are going to stay in bed and just not be able to get up. All of these things are normal ways that we will try to um, disconnect from our pain. 
expect to feel this pain in your body. Okay. So one of the things that's going to happen when you lose your loved one is you're going to lose something that I have learned is your executive functioning. Okay. So when you have a shock, traumatic loss, the immensity of loss of a loved one, your executive functioning or your ability to navigate the world and to plan forward things is going to go out the window. And it's a terrible time for it to go out of the window because I'm going to talk to you about the business of death, but your ability to make decisions, your ability to navigate the world, someone should probably be driving you. I think people drove me for the first couple of weeks. No one would let me drive my own car. And initially when they said they were coming to pick me up from the hospital or for the hospital, I was like, well, that's weird. Why wouldn't I be able to drive? And then as my brain began to sink into a state of survival and fight or flight, I know exactly why they wanted to drive me because the idea of being able to live in this loss and try to survive in this reality while thinking about oncoming traffic, those two things are just non-compatible. The first time I did drive, I made one errand to Hobby Lobby. It was a couple weeks after Micah's death. And I was in the wrong turn lane, turning left, and I actually turned left in front of a huge semi-truck who was in the correct lane to turn left. And I'm so grateful for the protection of God in that scenario where the only thing that happened to me was that the semi slammed on their horn and, you know, saw me and didn't hit me. But just making mistakes like that is so common. And in the days and weeks to come, I think, you know, I probably had three or four little fender benders because your mind is just so completely consumed with everything that has changed. The week that you lose your loved one is going to be incredibly busy for you. This is very unfortunate, but I call it the business of death. There are many decisions to be made and your poor brain is going to be it's probably going to feel like a dry sponge or a bowl of jello with unfortunate fruit bits floating around in there. And people are going to want things from you. There's going to be documents that you need to sign. There's going to be benefits that you need to apply for. There's going to be decisions that you need to make for your loved one's remains. Um, there's a service to plan. If you had a chance before this, to do any of this planning because you had a disease process with your loved ones. I'm so glad that you have some of these decisions made in advance or you know what they would have wanted. I did not have any of these things in place. I'm incredibly grateful for people who stepped into my life who kind of gave me like, do you want the red one or the blue one kind of choices. I remember sitting down in my living room with pastors and law enforcement officers and supportive friends and family trying to plan two services for my husband. And the pastor was asking me, what worship music did I want to play for Micah's service? And I just looked at her and it was like, I'd never heard a worship song in my life. Like I didn't know any titles. I couldn't recite any lyrics. <laughs> And bless her, I was like, can you just give me some ideas? And she pulled up a list and played some for me. My funeral for my um, husband was by far not the first one that she had planned. And so she had a lot of ideas that were really great. And I just kind of 
followed my intuition and said, yeah, I like that one. That's good. That's a powerful song. I think that that's a good fit for our service. And I just went with it because the ability to make a larger scale decision, you know, my grandparents planned their funerals from a long way out, right? Theirs was a death in season after a long life. They were married for almost 69 years and they lived into their 90s and they knew that they wanted How Great Thou Art played at their funeral and they knew the organ music and they had said, I want these kind of flowers or, you know, and so this is going to be a different kind of loss than something that is a death in season. Your death that we're talking about right now is what I call a death out of season where it feels like time has been taken that you expected to have with that loved one for a longer season of their life. And so there's going to be a loss in the midst of that that is different than the loss of someone who, though we always hope that we can keep our loved ones forever, we know that death is a reality and they will have to go into eternity at some point. This loss that you're walking through right now is shaking you to your core. It feels like someone has come and mowed down the most beautiful, deeply rooted oak in your life, and you are now left with this raw and ugly stump, and you feel every one of those rings, and you are having memories that are coming to you. You might be seeing people that remind you of your spouse or your loved one or your child in a crowd. And I remember the first week there was someone in a uniform. We had a uniformed presence around the house who had this side profile that reminded me just a little bit of Micah. And my entire body was like, it's Micah. And I believed it was Micah in that time. You're going to have these moments where you want to pick up your phone and call them and tell them something. And the shock and the reality of their death is going to hit you fresh over again. I talked to you about how your body is going to change and your brain is trying to adjust. And some of the things that are going to happen are your appetite and your sleeping are going to be affected. When we go into fight or flight, the parasympathetic nervous system is responsible for resting and digesting, okay? And so you're not going to have access to that for a while. And it's going to be, for some people, just an excessive amount of sleep. They can't wake up. They can't get out of bed. For other people, it's going to be you can't sleep. And when the world gets quiet at night is when you are going to have the most real painful thoughts. You are going to hit the wall of your reality full force. And that was my experience. And I would have trouble even falling asleep until four or five in the morning. As a side note, one of the things that you may want to do almost immediately is see your primary care physician or a doctor acquainted with grief would be ideal. I'm so incredibly grateful for my doctor who happened to have experienced traumatic loss. Not that he experienced the loss, but his compassion was so incredible for me. And I had a really hard time sleeping and I needed a prescription to be able to sleep. And you might be experiencing that as well. And so if you're hearing this and you're like, wow, yeah, I can't sleep. It's okay. It's okay to need some floaties when you're in waters that are this rough. 
the resources and the things that have worked for you in the past are probably not going to be adequate for you now. You're going to need different resources. You're going to need more people. You know, you might need to try different supplementation, things like that, where you are having the support of a professional who's coming alongside of you and checking on you, who is advocating for you, who's reminding you, have you eaten? Have you slept? I didn't eat really after Micah passed for, I want to say probably at least 15 to 18 months and um, nothing tasted good to me. I remember the week of the funeral, people were really trying to force me to eat. And I will tell you, if you're a support person, it's okay. Your loved one will survive this. If they don't eat, don't panic. You'll probably have leftovers from the reception and you may want to tuck into them at 2 a.m. and you may want to eat an entire pan of lasagna or you may not touch them and that food may seem just overwhelming almost in some ways. And so either way you go is okay, but be aware and be prepared for your body to respond differently. You are going to have encounters with people that you will probably remember for the rest of your life. Grief is something that's really difficult in our culture. We don't have a lot of rules or conversations around it. They're not very open. People will kind of be a little afraid of you, to be honest, and they will try to do things that they they want to comfort you. They have a good intention. Most of the time they have a good intention. They want to help you, but they are going to say things to you that you will never forget. And, you know, they'll say to you that everything happens for a reason, or, you know, God gives his hardest battles to his strongest warriors, or heaven needed another angel, or these things that are once again, very well-intentioned, but very painful. I remember um, even the week that I was choosing Micah's gravestone and plot at the cemetery, and someone said, because, you know, it's common if you have a death in season to choose to be buried beside your spouse. And so their comment to me was, well, you might want to not buy the plot beside him because you're really young, so you'll probably get remarried and you want to be buried by somebody else. The reality of what they said was technically true, okay? I'm 35 at the point where Micah has died, but I mean, his body is barely cold, right? We haven't had any ceremonies, funerals. This is three or four days out, and I am gut-punched at the idea that someone is thinking that I would ever get remarried or could even imagine that perspective. And I know that he did not mean to hurt me, but it did hurt me very deeply. And so the more grace that you can give yourself and just kind of tuning out some of the things that people say to you, the better off that you will be. Another thing that's going to happen with other people is other people are also grieving your same loss. No one's loss is going to look like your loss. No one's grief is going to look like your grief. And the reality is that our own pain is the worst pain that we know. So even though losing a sibling is not anything like losing a spouse, losing a spouse is your whole world. That's someone that you have built your life upon, that you probably have children with, that someone is a lover, that is your friend, you balance your checkbook. We don't have checkbooks anymore, but you know what I'm trying to say. You manage your finances together, you do housework and division of labor. That person is your morning to night 
your current, your future, that's nothing like losing a sibling. But I would not recommend trying to explain that to a brother or sister of your spouse, that they have no idea what you're going through in the position of a spouse, because for them, the loss of the brother or sister is the most devastating thing that they can imagine in that moment. And so there's going to be experiences, especially inside the inner walls of the family that are going to clash and cause a lot of pain. And the reality is, is that those will probably be things that surprise both of you. I've heard every story under the sun, people getting in fights over a deceased person's clothing or jewelry, people sneaking around and breaking into the loved one's home and taking things from their home without the permission of the next of kin. Death is going to bring out a lot of Um, It brings out the best and it brings out the worst. I've seen when parents pass that it brings the adult children into almost childlike roles again, a feeling of pick me, choose me, or no one's listening to me. I don't have a voice. You know, I had people who had expectations of me as the grieving spouse and I disappointed them, even though they should have never had those expectations of me. Um, They were angry with me because I didn't grieve in the way that they wanted me to grieve. I didn't grieve with them. I didn't grieve externally, emotionally enough. I didn't include them in a decision that they thought that they should have been included in. And to be honest, I was just in survival. It was not my intent to hurt anyone. And I think that's some of the hardest parts about these pains and these aches that you will experience because these are going to take months and even years for you to resolve if you are willing to do the work of resolving them. And I know that for me, they were things that needed to be brought up with therapists and trusted friends and even hearing later from trusted friends that they themselves were having encounters with people in external circles, right? So you have the closest circle would be, you know, me and the twins, right? That's the immediate circle. And then the next circle is like Micah's immediate family and his parents and siblings. And then, you know, the the grandparents and the cousins and the aunts and the uncles. And, and then you have the friends and the coworkers and each circle is going to be having their own interactions with each other and kind of their adjacent circles. And those are going to bump up against each other and cause things that are become wounds for you. And so I want to prepare you for that, that things are going to come and you are going to have to navigate stuff that you never even imagined being an issue. I'm so grateful for all of you who have wonderful people in your life who only say the right thing and never hurt you. You are incredibly blessed, um, but you are also very rare, and it is more likely to have situations where people's varying needs, expectations, and pain come in, and I call them grief bumper cars, and you're really just colliding and crashing around, and you're just trying to drive your own car, right? And I told you what a poor decision it is to try to drive a car in the weeks after grief, and the same is true with your grief bumper cars. And I will tell you that I have things from people who I lost who are close to me where I was trying with everything in me to anticipate the pain that they might experience and make choices that I thought would be most supportive and kind to them. And their perception of what I did in their loss caused them pain. And those are still things where I'm waiting for the Lord to bring redemption 
into those relationships because they perceived my actions through a completely different lens than what I had intended. And I'm experienced in grief. Like I have a lot of training. I've read tons of books. I've had my own losses and I still did things that hurt them. And so I'm just telling you the reality of how this is going to go in the days and weeks to come. So I just want to encourage you again, friends, that you need to take the expectations off of yourself. The shock, the fight or flight is going to take away your mental, emotional, and physical resources at a time when you're going to need them the most. It's very possible that you won't even remember large chunks of what happens in the immediacy, or you remember them differently from how other people are seeing the situation. You're going to have a lot of work to do. And for that, I'm so sorry. I really wish that our culture did better, but there is an entire business of death that you are going to have to walk through and file for and sign off on. You're going to make people mad and they're going to make you mad. And that's just the reality of what you're going to lose. Um, you're going to have to care for people in your children while you are yourself are going to have great needs. And your body is going to go into a state of survival. And that's going to change how you see the world. And all of those things are so normal. However you're experiencing this is okay. You are going to make it. And I want to encourage you to take this one hour at a time. You don't need to know what's going to happen tonight. You don't need to know what's going to happen tomorrow. One thing that I learned through the process of grief is this too will pass. This day, no matter how painful, is going to end. And you can survive it. You're going to feel like the pain is going to kill you, but it won't. And you can make it one hour at a time. Friends, this is how I did it. This is how I've done it. I'm approaching my sixth anniversary and I've put one foot in front of the other. There is hope and there is grace for you and God is going to show up for you in ways that you cannot even imagine. And I am praying for you that this reaches you in the dark night of the soul, in the valley of the shadow of death, and that you are not alone. You are not alone. You are seen and you are loved and you are going to make it. And I know that you're thinking to me, Rachel, no, I'm not. And I'm telling you that you can and you are and you will. Friends, I love you. I bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Hopecast with Rachel Flick. You've been listening to The Hopecast with Rachel Flick. To find out more, go to rachelflick.com. While you're there, you can book Rachel for your next speaking engagement. Her inspiring message will be sure to engage and touch the heart of your audience at your next conference, church event, or business function. Go to rachelflick.com to book her today. While you're online, you can discover more information about all of the platforms that this podcast is on. Also, be sure to click on the social media icons at the top of the page, and you will be directed to Rachel's social media sites. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate if you would subscribe and leave us a review. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time for another edition of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick.